was two days before Christmas, and all through the town, the police didn't know just what would go down. All the patrons in the bank holding their breath, hoping if they catch a bullet, it would be a quick death. Santa left his sleigh behind, instead a getaway car, but with all the bullet holes, they didn't get very far. You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. Timey Crimey, I'm Christy. You can't make me do what I don't want to do. Shut up. You're not my real mom. You're Scott. <laughs> and I'm Amber. <laughs> Go to your room, Scott. Yes, please. Thank you. You mean where the video game systems and the jar of Vaseline and... <laughs> Nobody wants to know about your habits. <laughs> Go to the basement, Scott, with the glass. You mean where the jar of Vaseline is? Pretty much anywhere in my house, you're going to find a jar of Vaseline. I do things. We know way too much now. <laughs> this is Old Timey Crimey. Thank you so much for listening. It's Christmas Day. If you're listening to this when it's uh, released, it's not Christmas Day for us because we record ahead of time naturally. And if you are slacking and wait to listen to your Old Timey Crimey after Christmas, then Christmas has already passed and we hope you had a good one. But... Uh, a couple little business things, if uh, you've been good little boys and girls, or if you've been filthy, naughty little boys and girls, one way or the other, we don't care. You should go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. Check out over there all of the offerings we have. We have over 50 bonus crimey episodes for you to listen to. It's a little different in format. One of us will tell a story to the other two that they don't know, so that fun element of surprises in there and we're starting to have our I keep on changing the name I think I'm going to call it extra extra now <laughs> but it's not gonna, always I'm just going to go with whatever you say because it's new every week yeah right it really is so it's, I just can't settle uh, I might be a little bit bored with uh, being inside that might be part of it so <laughs> But yeah, so that is a very exciting and fun that we have these monthly special bonus episodes too that are available for anyone at the $5 level. And so you get four bonus episodes a month plus an extra regular sized episode. And this time, I think we can finally say we are each taking chapters from the book Rest in Pieces, the, I think it's the Curious Fates of Famous Corpses. And we're going to talk about our favorite cases within that book and, and discuss with the other ones the elements of the case and what happened to the body or the various parts of the body, as the case may be. Heads go missing all the time. I, Not just heads. I want you people to stop eating other people. I've been saying this for like a long time, pretty much ever since I got pegged as the uh, the, the meal for uh, if our group was to commit cannibalism. So no, yeah, uh, I'm fully on board. Yeah, they're going to eat me. So, so yes, take a look at that. And also, please, uh, if you give us one Christmas gift this year, make it a review on Apple, iTunes, whatever, Apple Podcasts. And just tell us, you know, give us five stars and tell us what your favorite 
old timey cases, one that we've covered, one that we haven't, whatever. What what interests you the most? That's what we want to know. You don't have to sit there and think about all this high praise. I mean, if you want to, we're not going to stop you. Yep, yeah, totally <laughs> do that. High praise. That's what we're looking for, guys. I'll go get the marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that is all of that. And actually, I think Scott has a, a do you, Scott, do you want to share your story of uh, the, the book that we've been reading? The, and how the I threatened you? <laughs> so the book that we're reading, of course, it's going to be a sinister looking book. My lovely wife, Ariana, she's still getting kind of used to, to being in this area. Uh, she has anxiety, so she's on constant high alert. She's getting better. She's getting better. You know, and God help anyone that moves from the Bahamas to Johnstown. That's love. You know, it's, that is love. Yeah. That is love. <laughs> it is. I want to move from an island paradise to the frozen hell of Pennsylvania. Little Canada, but with heroin. That's what Johnstown is. <laughs> so I get this text message at work saying, I think the text message was along the lines of, Jesus Christ, Donnie, somebody's going to kill me. We, I just went out and there's a book in the mailbox called Rest in Pieces and it's got a skull on it. Oh God, what am I going to do? I did, Honey, Amber just dropped off that book for me to read. <laughs> it's, it's okay. And, it's like, and she goes, well, I feel silly now. So. Well, I, I told Jackson the story and I was like, got to tell you, if I didn't know that book was coming to my mailbox, yeah. I would freak out too. Yeah. <laughs> it really does seem like a threat. <laughs> it really does. In retrospect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. Speaking of uh, somebody who was a threat in retrospect. That's how I we're going to do this. That is. Let's talk about the Santa Claus bank robbery. It's a Christmas episode, everybody. Yeah. Christmas crime. So, in 1927, bank robberies were really, really ramping up. And especially in Texas, they had become so frequent that there were like three to four banks robbed in the state per day. Now, Every day, three to four. Now, I find the interesting thing was a lot of these bank robbers, they were considered heroes by normal everyday working people because not only would they take the money out of the bank, but they would also burn like all the files. And so a lot of people went, I don't have any mortgage left anymore. So sort of a uh, ending of Fight Club deal. Right, right. It was just like they would free people from the bonds of actually having to pay back the money that they took. Hmm, interesting. I did not know that. Well, the, the Texas Bankers Association, believe it or not, was not a big fan of any of these practices. I no. love this. No. <laughs> Shockingly. And so they offered a $5,000 reward, that's 75000 in today's money, to anyone who shot a bank robber in the commission of a bank robbery. And I love the text of this reward went on to stipulate, but not one cent for a hundred live ones. You had to kill the robber mm -hmm. to get the money. Yep. So <laughs> the one thing is that I, A, this reward could potentially be to blame for how badly everything went in this Santa Claus bank robbery, p robbery partially, not fully, but partially. 
And then I was looking through the the old timey newspapers, finding information about this case. The one thing that made it difficult is that every single paper that had a mention of this case had a mention of at least one other bank robbery that was happening. So I don't think it helped. I just, I I had no way that I was going to make a ton of money. Hey, stupid Steve, get over here. Yeah, what? Put on this raccoon mask and go into the bank with this gun, okay? $5,000 right in my pocket. The thing was that bank robbery was a capital offense, and it still is today if murder is committed in the process of perpetrating or attempting to perpetrate the robbery. So you could fail at the actual bank robbery, kill somebody, and still end up uh, going to execution for it. So, so that's kind of interesting. That's that's a very that's a very interesting thing because like I could sit here and I just made a joke about having Steve commit a bank robbery, but really I could be arrested now because the argument could be made I planned a bank robbery. I guess so, yeah. So now some people who were planning a bank robbery on December uh in December of nineteen twenty seven. Well, we start with Marshall Ratliff. Now, he and his brother, Lee, they had already been jailed for robbing a bank in Valera, Texas, which is a town in a very small town in central Texas. And they served about a year. They had a longer sentence, naturally, but the governor pardoned them both. Now, here's the thing about this governor. This was actually Miriam A. Ferguson, and she was the first woman governor of Texas. Really? They allowed that shit back then? <laughs> oh, you'll, 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 it'll make a lot more sense in a few minutes. Um, and she was actually also the second woman governor in the entire United States. She only missed it being first by 15 days uh, when, because Wyoming inaugurated their first female governor five days or 15 days beforehand. So that, yeah. And both of these women were following a husband who had been governor of their state. Now, Ferguson's husband had been governor of Texas from 1915 to 1917, but he was impeached and indicted. And the Senate, the state Senate, convicted him of 10 of 21 charges, including misapplication of public funds and receiving $156,000 from an unnamed source. That is over $3 million today. Wow. Talk about your dirty money in politics. And now he he was the type of politician who would veto appropriations for a major state university because they wouldn't fire faculty members who criticized him. I mean, that's a good reason to get fired. That really is a really good reason to get fired, but how do you stop that shit? Wait, what are you guys, are you guys talking about the faculty members criticizing him? Is it a good reason to get fired? No. I was sarcasm. Him. Oh, okay. I was actually going for him being fired. That's a good reason fired. for he to be fired. Yeah, and that, that did... I, I think from what I read in the articles, that event seemed to be part of the impetus where they were like, okay, you're really going too far. You're messing with state education in your own personal vendettas. And so they started to really dig and found a whole bunch of dirt on him. So after the impeachment and indictment, he couldn't run again. So his wife ran 
in his stead. And oh, on God, the... I just got like the chills of Melania 2024. Oh, oh God. God. Oh, God. Will her platform be Fuck Christmas? It's like, yes. Where's the off button for this sex doll that he bought? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Miriam Ferguson ran in her husband's stead, essentially. And on the Texas State Historical Association's website, Walter Walter Pilcher says she quickly assured Texans that if elected, she would follow the advice of her husband and that Texas thus would gain two governors for the price of one. That doesn't sound like a treat. Yeah, it's really uh, it's it's really making it obvious that you're just trying to subvert the law here and let him run through you and that you would essentially be a puppet. Now, she was big on the pardons or Probably he was big on the pardons. Uh, she issued 4,000 pardons during her two terms as governor. Uh, and the gang that would commit this robbery that we're about to talk about, 75% of them had been pardoned, in fact, by Miriam A. Ferguson. <laughs> Whoopsies. Now, now, a lot of these pardons were for prohibition-related arrests, but there were rumors that you could uh, buy a pardon from the for first gentleman and his I was going to say, that, that sounds terribly lot. Like, here's a couple hundred bucks. Just ignore this. Yeah. Exactly. So, but uh, the, the bright side is that in 1936, the voters of Texas stripped pardon powers from yeah. the governor. Well, yeah. If I just ended it stripped, it would have been funnier, right? Sorry, I stopped at stripped. <laughs> That's, That's right. kind of where my brain ended, too. So the key players here, Marshall Ratliff that I already mentioned, he's 24. He was pardoned by Ferguson. Henry Helms, he was 30. He'd been pardoned by Ferguson. And Robert Hill, uh, another ex-con, plus uh, Louis Davis, who was... Henry Helm's brother-in-law, his wife's brother. Now, Ratliff tends to get the spotlight here just because, well, he was the one in costume, but the media at the time really had Helms as clearly in charge, like basically leading a gang. The house where he lived was said to have 11 bullet holes in one single room because if you didn't do what he said, like immediately, he would do that that thing they do in, in old-timey Western movies where they shoot at your feet. Neat. Oh, <laughs> People actually did that. I never really picture that ever actually happening. That's kind of awesome. It happened when one person who had a loose affiliation with the gang tried to take their 15 or 16-year-old daughter away because one member of the gang wanted to marry the daughter. And so they got their the, the, the person, the parent of this child, got their feet shot at and brought the kid back. So... So, uh, Marshall Ratliff, he had had this plan going for a while, and it was supposed to be with his brother Lee, another job with him, but Lee had gone and gotten himself uh, another pair of shiny, pretty bracelets for armed robbery, so he was back in jail, so Marshall, you know, decided to go to Helms, and they got Hill, and they found, uh, they found Louis Davis. Louis Davis was kind of a last-minute sub because they had a safe cracker on their team. It was, it was a little Ocean's Eleven D. And Ocean's then, Three. Yeah. <laughs> the safe cracker actually got the flu. 
So they were like, hey, Davis, you, you got a family, a bunch of kids and not a lot of money. So uh, you want to come help us with this? Because we can give you a lot of money afterwards. And even though Davis had a clean record, he seemed to be pretty desperate. And he just said, well, I, I hope there won't be any shooting. Oh, no. There, yeah. there will be. Oh, there will be. There so, will be. So much. So much shooting. I hope you enjoy shooting. I almost I almost feel bad for Davis in this because he was just like, you know what? I just need to put some get some money so like I can support my family. I hope this is just like quick in and out. Like not I, I'm not condoning bank robbery by any means. But like I do almost feel bad for the guy who's who's kept his nose clean and then is like, you know what, I'm kinda desperate. Let's do this. Yeah, I feel like nobody's nobody's innocent here, but he definitely feels like like he has the least amount of guilt, or should be ascribed with the least amount of guilt. Mm-hmm. Like so, everybody else, are like seasoned criminals, and he's just like a guy that's hard up. <laughs> that's exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly it. So they're in Wichita Falls, Texas, and they're planning this bank robbery in the the small town of Cisco which is about four hours away. And so uh, Cisco, I should tell you, is the kind of like the birthplace of Hilton Hotels. Really? Yeah. Really? Conrad Hilton came to Cisco looking to buy a bank, but it was too expensive. So he bought the Mobley Hotel and that became the beginning of Hilton Hotels. And something is a little off about the Mobley Hotel because it says it was so popular that rooms changed hands three times a day. That, yeah, that was a brothel. They fucking. Yeah. Oh, they fucking. Yeah, they, they, that was that was definitely not uh, your average hotel. But nowadays, uh, the, the main drag in Cisco is conrad hilton avenue boulevard whatever it ends with but it's that so it's actually named after him so yeah that was the beginning of his hilton empire so they so the hilton empire started with the brothel and ended with paris's sex tape that's amazing yeah it yep, started by fucking and it's gonna end by fucking <laughs> everything comes full circle so yeah, it's a, it's a tiny town, and so they decide they're going to rob the First National Bank there. They steal a dark blue Bu- Buick in Wichita Falls in order to drive there. And they also brought with them a little costume, a, something to bring a little bit of festive cheer to the proceedings, a Santa suit. Now, here's an interesting thing. Several, almost every article I read, which a lot of them sourced each other, said that Ratliff borrowed it from the proprietor of the boarding house where he was staying in Wichita Falls. And he did this in order to go incognito because he was really known in Cisco. He was actually kind of from there. The ch- their chief of police had already busted him for his last robbery. So this is his old stomping grounds. He can't be showing his face like that and being super obvious. So everything has that detail about the proprietor of the boarding house. But in the actual testimony that would come later, a woman named Marion Heron, uh, well, she was actually a, a young girl, the daughter of a couple that was kind of associated with Helms, and she, they were actually in jail as accessories, and they were like, no, we'll stay here because we're terrified of Helms. So that, <laughs> again, gives you an idea. I'll stay in jail. We're safe. Exactly. 
she testified that her mother, so not the boarding house proprietor, made the Santa Claus suit and fitted it to Ratliff the night before the robbery, also known as Robbery Eve. Aww. I or like that. Crimus Eve. Crimus. Ooh. I like it. Crimus Eve. I get Crimus a little bit of a boner. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> of course you did. Let me go get this jar of Vaseline I've stored in this room. Oh, Lord. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, this is that's that's their plan. And so on December 23rd, they head down to Cisco. It's uh, two days before Christmas. Everything is very festive there. There's lots of activities and festivities. And so no one's really all that shocked when they see a Santa Claus appear in town. He he gets out of a car. A bunch of kids uh, see him and they start following him and clamoring for, you know, attention. And they want to tell him what, you know, they want for Christmas and candy canes and whatever. And he goes into an alley and the kids follow him there. So he, he basically goes and through the Santa costume without even trying, manages to get you know, Pied Piper like this, this coterie of children. Why is Santa order- getting a blowjob from a $2 whore? It was, right. 19, it was 1923. That's a $28 whore in today's money. Yeah. Maybe 28.50. I haven't done the exact math. So they, the children all follow him into the alley, and the other robbers are now waiting for him there. They parked the car and were waiting for him to gather the, the children that would be a distraction. And he also had to stand a mask because, of course, he can't show his face. Now, we might think of a traditional Santa costume, you know, your average mall Santa, but this was, um, according to one of my sources, which was Startling Detective Adventures magazine, quote, long red robe of cheap, flimsy material edged with cotton, and beneath were what appeared to be ordinary trousers and shoes. How dare you, sir? Ordinary trousers and shoes? Have you no shame? Yeah, Ratliff's really phoning it in with his costume here. So these four bank robbers, led by Santa and trailed by a bunch of excited kids, they go to the bank that uh, abuts the alley, and they go inside, and the tellers and customers are all saying, Hi, Santa. Hello, Santa. But Santa's oddly reticent. He's not really as cheery as you would think, and he's not responding to anything. Then the robbers whip out their guns, all but Santa Claus, and they say, of course, of course, they say, stick them up. You too, Santa. Et to Saint Nick. <laughs> yeah, but Santa is there, so a lot of the people at first think it's a joke. Like, oh, oh no. Yeah, that's gonna turn around and bite them real quick. And so I really liked one of the, one of the robbers. He walked up to the teller and he said, "Stick him up, big boy. I mean it." Oh, that's the gayest thing you can say. That <laughs> might be, yeah. yeah. Stick it up and drop your pants. It's the so, only thing I can think. The Good other dare. robbers are handling the people and covering the entrances and everything, and basically also covering Ratliff's slash Santa's ass while he goes. Uh, back through the bank, he goes to a cashier's desk. He seems to really know where this gun is. And he it, it's like below the cashier's desk. He gets the gun, and then he, he gets the tellers to fill up Santa's sack, which is just a potato sack. Uh, it's also a really fun thing to say. Yeah. Santa's sack could be the episode title. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Let's talk about Santa's sack. Yeah. Let's. And, 
then uh, he tries to get one of the tellers to open the vault for him. So that's all happening. They're opening the vault. And so while all this is going down, customers are still coming in. And of course, Mrs. Blassing Game was in town with her six-year-old daughter, Francis. And Francis had seen Santa and she wanted to go talk to Santa. I want to go see Santa. And so they saw Santa go into the bank. So they followed Santa into the bank. Mrs. Blassingame, you say, oh my. Yes. And so she basically goes in, she looks around, she sees what's up, and she's like, nope, 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 nope. And she tries to go out the front door, but the robbers are blocking her way. So she's like, well, you know, uh, I somehow know where every exit is in this building. So she goes to the uh, alley and through the back door and manages to escape that way, even though they're saying, you know, like every cliche that's already popped up, we've got to have a stop or I'll shoot. Why not? Why not? I'm surprised nobody asked her to make my date, punk. Uh, so. Give it time. Give it time. It'll happen. <laughs> yeah. So it is Mrs. Blassing Game who actually sounds the alarm that this is going down. And so we have police chief. Now his initials are GE, but he seemed to go by the name Bit. Like a little bit. Bit Bedford. I mean, like that's probably his like cool cop name. Yeah. Yeah, we get those nicknames occasionally. This is this is this is one of them. <laughs> and he has two officers. They head out. The chief takes the front, and the other two are RT Reddies and George Carmichael. They cover the entrance to the alley in the in the side slash back. And but they're not the only ones. Because Blasting Game, she didn't just go to the police station and just whisper, hi, there's a robbery going on at First National Bank and a man dressed as Santa, I thought you should know. No, she was hollering it all over town. I say, could I have a policeman? Help, help me, please. Help. <laughs> it was nothing like that. It was more like, there's a robbery. Everybody, there's a robbery going on in there. Anyone want to shoot this motherfucker? Exactly. There's five grand in it for you. Yay. And so all the locals, and it's Texas, so most of them were toting a gun, if not multiple guns. Uh, they also head to the scene. If they didn't have a gun, then they stopped off at the hardware store real quick to buy one. Of course. Or maybe rent one. Who knows? They, they had really good sales that day. It was Christmas. <laughs> it was Christmas. It was like last minute shopping. Yep. Did you see any particular sales that perked your interest, or were, were you just... Oh, no. Like, I, I meant they sold a lot that day. Oh, okay. That's what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, that gun store probably did, like, a year's business in one day. <laughs> or the hardware store, rather. So, later, actually, there's a photo that was taken that I was just delighted by of all those who participated in the uh, sort of ambushing of the robbers. And there were, I counted over 50. There were, it was a little blurry in places and the people were like stacked up, you know, a couple deep. So it was hard to tell, but I counted around 50 and men and boys. And actually I think there were a couple women too. It's hard to tell, but I think there were a couple women. But I thought I found that photo really just fascinating. <laughs> they were like, hey, everybody, group picture, group picture. Come on, get in here, get in here. Kick his ass, Doris. No, they did say that perhaps as many as a hundred residents like joined in to shoot the robbers. 
Yeah. Like some people probably just went home because they were like, okay, well, we're done here. And they didn't know there was going to be a group picture and probably regretted it later. Remember, <laughs> remember, Texas was the state that H.H. H. Holmes was afraid of. Yeah, exactly. For, for good reason, really. Well, I, I, read, I, read this, I read this essay years and years ago. It was on film. And they were talking about some of the scariest film titles out there. And they got to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And they made the argument that the scary word in that, like you could have called the film The Massacre. You could have called it Chainsaw Massacre. But the real scary word in that is Texas. <laughs> yeah. Because Texas is just this state where it seems like anything can happen. You want to know how scary Texas is. Texas is the scariest word in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yet the actual Texas Chainsaw Massacre happened in Wisconsin. <laughs> they were like, Wisconsin's not scary enough. Let's move it to Texas. Right? It's right. really not. It's Ed Gein. Ed Gein is the person that Leatherface is based off of from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was happened in Wisconsin. That is so funny. My God. <laughs> so back in the bank, Ratliff gets his Santa sack all filled up. <laughs> he has $12,000 in cash. That's $179,000 today. And $150,000 in securities, which is $2.2 million today. Uh, one paper's account of the trial had it at $312,000 total, which I, I didn't even really do the math on that because, like, literally every other source I saw had it, the, the, the other two numbers. And that particular paper um, tended to... I got to know that paper a lot during this case, and they, they tended to make some mistakes, I'm just going to say. So. Ooh. Yeah, they were. They probably needed to make a retraction like every day, if not seven. So uh, they just were too lazy to do it, so they didn't bother. <laughs> Talking to you, Brownsville Herald. I hope you've stepped up your game. Save it all up, and we'll wait for the end of the year, and we'll just do it yeah. all at once. And it's that big giant like edition, like the Thanksgiving Day newspaper with all the Black Friday sales in it. Except it's all retractions. Happy Thanksgiving. We fucked up. Yeah. So after Ratliff gets the money and the securities, that's when things start to go sideways. We have a couple different accounts. It's one of those cases where everything happens so fast that nobody really knows exactly what happened. One account has Hill seeing some eyes peering through the window. Now, keep in mind, you think of a bank, you might think of it, you might not think of it as banks maybe were back then. There were just big huge plate gl glass windows in the front the almost the entire front of the building was plate glass windows like that's i guess you can see what's going on inside so if something bad is going on in this case as it was you can maybe take care of it so all right so hill sees these eyes peering through the plate glass window and he shoots and then someone from outside shoots into the bank and then the exchange begins Another account has Helms seeing the lawmen coming and he fires on them before they do on him. Uh, and then there, there's a possibility in one account that Hill just fired warning shots into the ceiling, four warning shots, trying to send a message that, hey, we have guns, we're armed, you better stay away. And then everyone else outside is like, oh, are we... Are we explaining that we're armed through shooting things? Okay, let's all do that. And they all shot into the bank too. Of course. <laughs> I like that last one the best though. Like, are we are we just letting everyone know? Like, we don't have a cell phone, so let's just shoot at each other. 
Uh, my yeah. name is Scott. This is the sound of my gun. <laughs> yeah. So there, a later estimate would say that there were 200 bullet holes in the bank building, although that's disputed because a lot of people are like, oh, no, there were definitely more. Yeah, that's great. I love it whenever people overreact. Yeah. So the bandits are now in ready to escape. And they're like, okay, so we've got this hail of gunfire coming down on us from not only the police, but also all of the well-armed locals. So what we need are some human shields. So they are like, well, what do you know? We got like 16 completely unwilling ones hanging around on all the bank's employees and customers. Use and so the they children. Use the children. Oh, don't worry. They will. <laughs> <laughs> and so they basically form this human shield of people to get themselves out to the car. And now some people are still shooting. And some shots did make it into the crowd of hostages. You had six people who sustained wounds, including the bank president. Uh, and so in also in this exchange of gunfire, the the... The robbers are also shooting, and probably there's some stray bullets. Who the hell knows, you know? And so Chief Bit Bedford and Officer George Carmichael are also shot. Their wounds would end up being fatal, both of them. Bedford was shot five times and would die uh, sometime between that day and Christmas. It was confusingly worded pretty much everywhere. And then Carmichael would actually last until January 17th before he succumbed to his injuries couldn't find much about Carmichael, but Bedford was 59. He had five full siblings and seven half-siblings. He left behind his wife of 33 years, as well as three kids, the youngest of whom was 17. Mm. Yeah, so that was that was pretty sad. I um, was going to make a joke about him succumbing to bullet poisoning in the hospital, but now it doesn't seem right. Oh, sorry I ruined your joke with, right. I'm, you know. I'm good, whatever. Okay. <laughs> so some other bullets that were fired did manage to find uh, Ratliff and Davis, two of the, you know, the gang here. And so they're trying to get these customers to basically be their human shield to get to the car. A couple of them get away, and that includes two adults that they were trying to take as hostages. But there are two who don't manage to escape, and that is... Laverne Cummer, 12, and MMA Robertson, 10. Christmas is never going to be the same for these girls. I can tell you that much. Uh, it's going to be full of a lot of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, you, know, you know those pictures where, like, the little kids meet Santa and they just scream and cry? Mm -hmm. I bet those girls were probably so much worse every time they saw a Santa after that. Oh, yeah. This, this description from Startling Detective... When Emma May started to run, Santa Claus seized her and thrust her into the car. The other child was placed in the automobile, and one of the robbers shot around her at the officers and the citizens. Good God. Yep. I fully agree. So that's a lot of trauma for two young girls to go through. And that there's gonna uh, there's gonna be more. Flex tape ain't gonna fix that shit. Yeah. Oh, I hope their parents have wonderful presents for them to at least help, you know, distract them for 10 minutes or okay. something. It's the 1920s. They're not even going to have good therapists. We're, we're like 15 years away from having leeches put on you. They got a ball in a cup, I bet. Yeah. 
So Mexico's number one play toy, except for like heroin. This particular story definitely added a little bit of color to the uh, proceedings here. Local restaurant owner R.L. Day, he was actually one of the few who was unarmed. So he goes up to another local and just borrows his pump gun and goes over to the car where Hill is trying to get the car started and get moving. And then he, he look, R.L. Day looks at the gun and then he turns around and he goes, how do you work this darn thing anyhow? No, <laughs> no. If you don't have a gun, just reach out. Someone will put one in your hands. Even if you don't know how to use yeah. it. Just, what you do is you squeeze this little trigger here and it makes bad things go away. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by Best Fiends. Guys, I totally went down the rabbit hole with this case. And when I came back up, I really needed something to take my mind off it. Any guesses what I did? Did you play Best Fiends? Yes, I did. And why do we love Best Fiends? We love it because of the fun puzzles, the adorable characters, and because it's a game that anyone and everyone can play. It's so bright and fun and approachable, and the bright colors keep my attention because I am riddled with attention deficit disorder. And you don't even need the internet to play it. That's right. No Wi-Fi, no problem. So it's coming up on that time. Level check. Where are we, guys? I am at level 1,467. 778. I am at level 2,442. And Jackson, I should say, just for, for Amber's sake, since she's trying to catch up to him, is at 1757. I'm writing it down. You're going to get him. <laughs> he and I will sit there and we'll play and listen to, to true crime podcasts. And every time we beat a level, we'll be like, oh, I beat it. Just makes it more fun to, uh, to have that uh, activity that we do together. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. So... They, the robbers do get the car started. They jolt out of the alley. In the process, uh, they nearly threw MMA out the door, the abrupt motion, not the robbers themselves, just the, the movement and all the, the chaos and everything. And I'm sure they didn't really buckle her in or anything. <sighs> Jesus. Let's take enough time. Safety is important. Safety first. Mm -hmm. So they do make it a little ways, but of course, people are now shooting at the car and that's not working in their favor, as you might imagine. One of the tires goes flat, gas is running out, so they get around to the edge of town and they decide they need to find another vehicle. So they flag down a brand new Oldsmobile that is transporting the Harris families for some kind of last minute Christmas shopping. It is driven by one Woodrow Wilson Harris, age 14. That's when not I right. That, yeah, when I saw that, I was like, well, he must be like, have some little siblings and maybe his parents weren't available to drive. No, he was actually transporting. Other passengers in the car were his mother, his father, and his grandmother. 
You know what? The, that was actually really common at the time because, like, my dad has told me stories about when he was driving when he was like twelve. So it was just done back then because I think this was before you needed a license to drive. So as soon as you were big enough to reach the pedals, in theory, you could just be a driver. I think Georgia I'm still has it that 14 is the the earliest you can get your learner's permit. Wow. I know it's done or it was, was done back then and maybe in Georgia still is. It still feels really weird to me. It's one of those those historical details that I can't quite lose that feeling of weirdness to it maybe because that age of 16 is so associated with getting your license you know see, but but like see i stole my first car when i was 13 so <laughs> i love it when you just drop those things for our listeners <laughs> there's a reason i'm attracted to true crime is because i've lived it <laughs> yes, age of driving georgia is 18 okay okay uh oh okay youngest age of driving youngest age of driving u.s it just says in some jurisdictions of the united states and canada drivers can be as young as 14 okay so it looks like yeah 14 in some states let me see if i can figure out which states those are quick um in uh, most uh, Alberta, Alberta, Canada, it's 14. Um, let's see here. Oh, they're not telling me. I need to know what states to stay the fuck away from. Those, but those 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 14-year-olds driving, they can still come here. No. Nothing's stopping them, literally. They just, have a car just, and a license. Just COVID. <laughs> That's not stopping. So, all right. They do... The robbers get the Harris family out of the car and get in themselves, along with they still have their young hostages, shove those girls into the car, Laverne into the front and Emma in the back, where they also shove Davis, who had been shot, and he was passing out. And, of course, there's still gunfire going on, so at this point, Hill gets shot and wounded, too. But young Woodrow Wilson Harris was either smart or just had some muscle memory that helped him out here because he still had the keys. One article said he switched off the automatic ignition, but one way or the other, the robbers couldn't go anywhere in this car, so they get out. And they're like, okay, we take the hostages, we leave the wounded man who may die soon, and they didn't even think about the money, which they left in the car they were abandoning. Damn it. At least take the money. Don't make it be all for naught. Yeah, wasn't that the whole point of this? They're like, we'll take the hostages, but not the money. <laughs> Maybe the they hell? just really enjoyed their company after a little while. Perhaps, <laughs> the, perhaps. The real treasure is the friendships we've made along the way. Exactly. The real loot. <laughs> Except for, like, they're, they're panicked, their their buddy is bleeding out, and they're like, we got to get away from these people. The hostages might keep them alive. The money at this point will not. True. At this point, their lives are uh, their first concern, not not having some money to go away and, you know, sip, sip 1927 margaritas on an island. I mean, there are other banks that they can they can rob should they live another day. So it seems like the banks are plentiful. There, there's just nothing but banks in Texas without money were being robbed. And guns. And guns. Hey, <laughs> yo, me a Coke. Very okay. nicely done. 
there will be rum in it. <laughs> so they, uh, the mob is actually distracted by all this for a little bit, by Davis being left and the, the, the Oldsmobile and the money being left in the Oldsmobile. Uh, so the men are able to get back to the Buick and they are able to get away in that. Davis is taken to the Fort Worth hospital where he, the one who said, I hope there isn't any shooting, dies. Okay, so I, I do have a question in this because maybe this is just the way I think and I'm going to hell and that's fine. Um, I don't understand why nobody shot Davis in the head. Well, because then you have a dead bank robber and you get the reward. Does that make sense or am I just a psycho? I don't know. I think maybe for them when it was a bunch, you know, they're in a mob, they've got that mob mentality. And when, when it's a bunch of robbers in the bank or trying to get to the car, it's one thing. When it's a guy who looks like he's already on his way out, uh, passed out on the floor who, or, or on, the, on the seat of a car who maybe he looked like he was already dead. You know, like he was passed out. So he, they very well could have been like, oh, well, no, you're shooting him. He's already a, a goner. You know, I'll no, just well, like an so, asshole. Somebody, I walk up to this possibly dead guy and shoot him. Somebody took him to the hospital. But me with my gun as a Texan, I would have like jumped on him, shot him in the head and be like, this bitch is mine. <laughs> Apparently you were born to live in Texas, Amber. <laughs> or at least shoot people for money. I mean, is that still, <laughs> can we do that? No. Mm-mm. I'll have no. to ask. I'll ask around. It, probably in the in like the depths of. Never mind. I'm just gonna stop talking. Continue. <laughs> I just wanted to state that I now firmly believe that if you ever won the lottery, you would use it to establish your own private island where you hunt the sport of man. Oh God, that would be so much fun. The ultimate I, game. I actually okay. Little side trip down Scott's disease brain. I, I have thought about this. I think the island of North Sentinel Island, why, why are they so angry at people coming to that island? And Because almost every other tribe you hear of, yeah, there's some strife, but they usually accept explorers in fairly, you know, they're cautious, but they eventually accept them in. And I have this weird theory bouncing around my head the past couple of days. The North Sentinel Island is the one island they keep to hunt man. That I mean, maybe I don't know. I just think that they're angry because they're like, we want to be left alone by people that we know want to take advantage of us or change our ways. But if you just like do your thing and leave no trace, that's fine. No, and they also they don't want to know about Jesus. Yeah, they really don't. Yeah, they they really don't. They, and that's their fucking prerogative. They really don't. I had I had a video up on my other YouTube channel about North Sentinel Island, and then that that dude like rode his boat out there and got speared to death. And I mean, Jesus Christ, I got like three hundred thousand views in a couple of days. I had like I, I have close to a million views on that video. And I just keep I keep wishing like somebody would take a little boat out there and die. Uh, with the words old-timey crimey on the side of it. Well, we could use the views. You know, if, if anybody wants to, to give their life for uh, for this podcast, Scott has just given you the, the way to do it. So. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Make sure to put our Patreon on there. Yeah, so they, uh, yeah, Davis is taken to Fort Worth Hospital. He dies there. 
and the other men are back in the Buick. They manage to get a little ways, but the Buick craps out, and so they they head out on foot. They leave the, the, the hostages, the girls, with the car, so at least those, those girls are safe now. And so begins what would be called the largest manhunt so far in the state's history. Um, the papers would call Helms worse than Jesse James. No. Absolutely, yep. Yeah. They, they he, literally it was like in a headline: "Helms worse than Jesse James." Yeah. I just want to see like a whole bunch of like Helms. What a dick, huh? <laughs> yeah, basically. So they had people on foot, on horseback, on car, in car, um, following the trail. And actually, it was like a really gruesome scavenger hunt because along the way, people are finding these blood-stained items for wherever the bank robbers had been, and they'd been, you know, like cleaning up and everything. And so they find, you know, blood blood-stained shirt here, blood-stained bandages here. They actually found a suitcase full of like gauze and bandages that they had left behind because they've been prepared to be shot and need to clean themselves up. So that was the first time I've ever seen such prepared robbers that were also not really prepared at all. So it's um, like it's like they were asking for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There were several hundred people uh, involved in this manhunt. The robbers, at least Hill and Helms, they they leave Ratliff, who's who's having a, a rough go of it, and they sneak back into town to steal another car. This town that is on a high alert and is like the central like location the headquarters for this giant vigilante posse that is hunting their asses down and they're like yeah let's we can just go in there and find another car that'll be fine we'll, we'll steal another car yeah why not they got balls they're here yeah they're stupid balls but they got balls like so they get if you would have this type of get go this kind the type of uh, of like i can do attitude but used it for legal stuff, I feel like you'd be so successful. Yeah, right? But they don't. So they do actually wreck that car. And so then they're trying to find another car and they pull the old like, oh, my wife is sick and she needs help. Can you take me to, you know, blah, 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 blah. They trick this young man into the car. It is, I had his name here. I got Wiley. What's his first name? Coyote. So Coyote Wiley. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> well, his last name is Wiley. And he's a young man. And they actually, his father. Carl. Tries... Sorry, it took me a minute and I, I was on mute. Carl is, is his first name. Okay, thank you. Carl Wiley. Yes, thank you, thank you. And they or basically are making him drive their car that or his car that they're stealing and so Wiley's dad is shooting after the bandits and accidentally hits his own son Jesus Yeah yeah So they're injured they're hungry they're cold they're wet they're tired I mean it's December in Texas but it's still December and they actually do find two oranges to eat they share them amongst themselves but don't give any to their hostage rude and so they keep him around for about 24 hours. They keep Wiley around and they, they like him. He reported that when he was parting ways with them, they all shook hands and they said, we could kill you, but we're letting you off light. Oh, that was nice of him. That was very nice. 
So they did actually enjoy his company. So maybe they enjoyed the, oh, I don't want to say enjoyed the company of the little girls. That sounds like a horrible euphemism for something that I'm pretty sure didn't happen. Jesus. Oh, God. So uh, they go off to steal another car. And meanwhile, while he's like, I'm going to head over to the police station and uh, let the cops know where to look for you guys. So bye. <laughs> so he does that. Have a good day. Yeah. It was nice knowing you. Not really. So the bandits, the three of them, they steal a roadster. And one article did say it was a one-seater. Aw. That was like that night I took all the strippers home in my smart car from that one club. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> like, like instantly, like all of our listeners went, oh, what a funny joke. Strippers in the start. No, it really happened. <laughs> yes. So... They are all three jam-packed into this car like strippers in a smart car. And that's the new clowns in a Volkswagen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, large feet, small cars. Oh, shit. Clowns are hung. (laughs) (laughs) So they are now on their fifth stolen car since they like they stole the buick then they tried to if we count the oldsmobile um they tried to steal the oldsmobile they stole another car stole another car and then stole the one seater so yeah this is uh this is ridiculous they get as far as south bend texas which is about 51 miles from cisco and they're trying to cross a river there but that ends in a shootout with the sheriff followed by a car chase and then another shootout in a field. I'm sure there were also some shots fired during the car chase, so it was probably just one prolonged shootout. My God, if they just could have collected all the metal from the bullets and went to the recyclers, they wouldn't have had to rob anything. Hmm. Right? It's, it's that kind of modern ingenuity that we need from our 1927 robbers. So uh, the Texas Rangers are, of course, in on this. And Cy Bradford, a ranger who was pretty renowned for his coolness under fire and his uh, amazing aim, may have actually hit all three men in the shootout. Uh, so, but you know, there's a lot going on. It's hard to tell. Everyone basically in the group is now wounded. Ratliff can't go any further. Uh, so they, they managed to get him. Hill and Helms do make it into the woods. At some point in this, the whole thing they get a plane in on the manhunt as well as some bloodhounds and if you think like oh okay they got a plane this is 1927 this is the same year in fact it was his name was in several of the articles that are mentioned in articles in several of the papers i was looking at Lindbergh, charles Lindbergh did his first journey from uh non-stop from new york to paris so it's not like planes are just lying around at hangars you know that's that was probably a, a pretty innovative thing to have a a plane involved at this point so they've got ratliff and they uh they pat him down and they find six guns jesus yeah five automatics a shotgun and three cartridge belts i mean he, he went to texas prepared for texas at least yeah he was in texas he was a texan yeah, so he already knew all about this. He had to have six guns. 
Yeah, this was this was he came by this naturally. He was born. He he slid out the birth canal with probably waving a shotgun, you know? Yeah. With a cartridge belt around. I his ain't waist. going through no vagina. Let me just shoot my way out through the belly. Yeah. Right. That's how Texan women have babies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Texas is gonna hate us. We're sorry, Texas, but it's it's you're fun. You're fun. <laughs> It's twins. Really, it's, it's just easy. <laughs> yeah. So they. Oh, this startling detective magazine called this. Now, this article was written in 1930, so I'm sure it was beaten. This record that they called it was beaten like a week after publication. But, quote, the greatest arsenal that a robber has ever been known to carry on his person in all the history of crime in the United States. But yeah, like somebody probably the next day was like, eh, six guns, try seven, bitch. It was like razor companies adding blades. That's great. That's beautiful. Thank you. So he also has, depending on which source you read, four, five, or six gunshot wounds. He's still, still alive, but, you know, not doing great. Within a few days, they managed to get Hill and Helms. They Hill and Helms are so desperate and bedraggled and hungry and tired at this point that they practically stumble right into the cop's arms. Those two have a combined total of seven guns on them. All told, the group of four bandits, when they went to commit this robbery, uh, I'm going to say they probably had 14 guns on them because the, the total was 15, but we know that Ratliff picked up a gun from the cashier's desk at the bank, so now they could have grabbed a few. Picked up a gun from the bank. Yeah, yeah, he got his gun. He when he went in, he was not flashing his gun. The others were, and then he stormed back to the cashier's desk and grabbed a gun. That's beautiful. And I said it was weird because he knew where it was, and I don't understand. Like, you know, he I guess he knows the bank, and he was planning for this, or heard some I, scuttlebutt at the bar. Who I knows? just imagine it's like a cup of pens and like a fucking revolver. Sticking out of a cup of pens. And remember, it's Santa Claus coming back to get the gun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the surreality of it just never stops. So there are total 11 people wounded, including the bank robbers. Um, two of those were just like misfires of, of their own guns or a gun near them. So in the aftermath of all this... Real quick, because one of them actually involved a police officer that shot himself. Oh, go ahead. No, I, that that's pretty much it. Police officer, uh, while on pursuit for in this manhunt, hunt, accidentally discharged his own weapon and wounded himself. Oh, gosh. Whew, wow. That's, you got to love it when it's a cop. It's like when that, that cop in my township accidentally shot herself. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm so confident that if, you know, anything happened, I would be well protected. <laughs> so anyhow, um, so the trials happen. Okay. Ratliff's is first. His mother tried to get a change of venue. That was denied, which honestly, I kind of feel like it shouldn't have been denied. If literally everyone in town was involved in the shootout at the bank and the manhunt, it's going to be a, it's going to be a little hard, I think, to get an unbiased jury just a little bit. 
Yeah, so. it's yeah, definitely. You know, even even shit, man. Even if it's like you haven't heard of the crime, but you didn't get that game you wanted whenever you were five. You know, it's jury's going to be pretty biased against you, Santa. Well, that's the thing. It's the prosecution. I love this. Opened its arguments by referring to Ratliff as Santa Claus, and they really, they really emphasized it. Here was a line from the opening arguments of the prosecution. Santa Claus was a traitor to his town and a traitor to his country. No, this doesn't look like the North Pole. I have never wanted to see a trial transcript more. <laughs> I was like, is that the only line I get? Come on, give me more. I'm going to hunt this down, I swear. So, uh, Young Emma Robertson actually testifies in his trial because, remember, he'd been wearing the Santa mask. So there was some difficulty actually identifying him and making that definite connection and saying this was the guy. Ratliff was involved. So they, you had several of the state's the state's own witnesses that they brought who denied that Ratliff was the Santa Claus at the bank. So the, the, I don't understand why this happens. You would think that the state would be like, maybe we should talk to people before we put them on the stand, but apparently not. So uh, Emma Robertson says, yeah, that's the guy who kidnapped me while he was dressed as Santa. The way that she recognized him, the way that she was able to say this was certainty because when they were in the car after all the shooting in the, in the Buick, he was asked about his wounds by one of his compatriots. So he lifted his mask to show them that he, where he'd gotten hit on the chin and she saw his face then. So that one lifting of the mask could have been what did him in. That's it. That's it. Never let bitches know what you look like. <laughs> so... And as I mentioned, the daughter of the woman who made his Santa suit also testified. And that, that testimony was, she was a surprise witness. They weren't really expecting that. So that was kind of, he was probably sitting there like, oh, crap. Now they really got me. The state brought over 50 witnesses and his defense brought zero. They didn't even try. They're going on that whole I'm Santa Claus thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, the thing is, is one one article mentioned that Ratliff was the only person in the courtroom who was allowed to smoke, which he did frequently. <laughs> you just gotta love it. Smoking Santa. So he ended up uh, getting a guilty sentence and 99 years, or guilty verdict, 99 years for the armed robbery was his sentence. And then two months later, they actually sentenced him to execution for the deaths that happened in the commission of the robbery. Because like I said, capital offense, armed robbery already, but they, they only got the 99 years. So they were like, okay, I guess we have to try for the deaths that were associated with it. There wasn't really any testimony about him actually using a gun while robbing the bank or shooting anyone, but they were kind of able to uh, do it. They, they managed to squeak it through anyhow. Uh, after the first sentencing, after the 99 years, he was heard saying, that's no hail for a high stepper like me. Oh. This guy. So, that is his trial. Then comes... Hold on. Hold on, yeah. though. There was actually a brief moment that he tried to plead, in plead insa insanity. I can't talk. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it, it happens. Well, I thought that was... Well... 
both. It was a little confusing because yeah, he also he also later tried the insanity. Uh, but but did he try do it during the trial too? Yeah, he was he was chanting the Lord have mercy on my soul when he was trying to pretend to be insane. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah, he really pulls out some stops later too with that whole uh, insanity act. He doesn't. That's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, he 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 probably tried that briefly and then was like, well, it's not going to work now. But later on, he got real desperate for reasons that we'll see. And so Hill, it's Hill's trial. He pleads guilty and he even takes the stand to kind of explain his life to the jury. He says, you know, I was orphaned really young. They once I was orphaned, they put me in juvie, even though I hadn't done anything wrong. They just didn't have anywhere else to put me. And he said that he had only fired at the ceiling to keep the mob from rushing in. He hadn't shot at anybody. He hadn't killed or hurt anybody. The jury gave him 99 years. He was 21 years old. They, he promised his court-appointed pro bono attorney immediately after his sentence. He said, I'm going to be a model prisoner. You're, you know, I'm, I'm going to really make everybody proud. I want to I, I get baptized when I go to jail. And then he uh, escaped three times. That, no, that, you, you didn't, you didn't live up to your word there, buddy. No, no, not at all. Uh, he does end up, each time he ends up back behind bars. And then in the 1940s, he does get paroled, changes his name, and goes on to live a nice, fruitful, clean-cut life. We don't know very many more details beyond that, but just he, he kept his nose clean, didn't get into any more trouble until his death in 1996. And then what did he do? How did he get in trouble then? You know what? I actually do have one little tidbit about his life. Ooh! There was a 1977 article from the Abilene Reporter where, do you remember Woody Harris with the stolen car, but he kept the keys? Yeah. Yeah. He actually ended up befriending Woody, and they were good friends after he was paroled. I love that. Harris went on to be quoted as, he's a fine fellow, and he's my friend. Aww. Oh, my God. That is so in the Christmas spirit. It is. And I thought that was really sweet. So they actually ended up being friends. Oh, my gosh. Amber, I love that detail. Good find. Oh, my God. That is so sweet. <laughs> Kind of makes all the other chaos to come worth it. <laughs> Not even close. No. So, yeah. So that was basically Hill's life and had a nice friendship, too. That's good. Um, Helms was pointed to as the actual gunman who had killed the chief of police and the policeman at the bank, Carmichael. His family and other witnesses did take the stand but essentially it was to describe his, quote, mental irresponsibility, end quote. So yeah, he gets his, he, there's 10 minutes of deliberation, and then he gets the death sentence, which, as we've said before, 10 minutes is actually an eternity in old-timey jury deliberation. So it doesn't even hit the, the top, like, 15 of cases we've done. Now, his execution came along, he was 32 years old. It was in September of 1929. He left behind 
a wife, and six kids aged one to 13. That was four girls and two boys. Now, if uh, everything progressed in the normal fashion and timeline for a pregnancy, then uh, when Helm's wife, Nettie May, had their last daughter, Alta May, in July 1928. The, the Alta May fighter. Oh, God. That is, <laughs> That's what I was that thinking, is... too. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Didn't, didn't think of that, but yeah. Uh, she was... Then, then Nettie May was already two to three months pregnant when her husband committed this robbery. So, I did. I did find what Helms was chanting when he uh, tried to plead insanity. Wait, Helms or Ratliff? Because you said Ratliff was chanting the. Have they mercy both on did me. it. They both oh did God. it. Helms was chanting under his breath repeatedly during his trial. Ain't gonna sing. Huh. I hope he ain't sang when he did it. Ain't he might sing. have been. All it says is he was chanting repeatedly, ain't gonna sing. Huh. Yeah, he didn't sing in any way, shape, or form. Uh, although it... All right, so his last meal was said to be sausage with tomatoes, cabbage, and then finish it off with some coffee and pie. It sounds disgusting. And... That's a horrible last meal. No, it does sound gross. Yeah. I Tomatoes mean, and sausage? Fucking hell. You, you put those in some eggs and it's good. But yeah. uh, I, I don't I don't understand this combination in particular. So um, he did struggle with what was called the strength of a madman when they came to take him to the, the electric chair. And it took four guards to get him out of his cell. And now he was in the same, you know, death row area as Ratliff. So they actually walked him right past Ratliff's door. Now, Ratliff being on death row, he saw executions happen, or at least saw the people being led to execution. He liked, in, in Texas, so pretty much every hour of the day, um, he liked to play a certain song. He had a phonograph and a beat-up record, and the beat-up record happened to be When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. God damn it. And he would play it every time they took a man to the chair as the man walked past. He would hear that song, except he didn't do it when Helms was taken to the chair. A little bit salty of him, I guess. I don't know if that was like a fuck you to Helms or if that was like, a, I know you, so I can't make fun of this or... I don't want to give you the respect of a song. It really depends on what his initial at- intentions were when he played it. If he was just I, trying to mess with people. Yeah, I feel like he was messing with people. But then when it came to Helms, he was like, I, he had too much respect to do that. And it that, that death actually like affected him more. Because after that, that he had already been trying some appeals. It was after that that he tried to get an insanity plea into those appeals. Uh, it, Basically, he did manage to convince the wardens and guards in the prison where he was in Huntsville. Uh, but the the locals back home were really fired up about this. They were not on board. They did actually, the, the authorities in Eastland, Texas, which is right, it, it, it's basically the, I don't know if it is the county seat of, of Eastland County, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess yes. Just, <laughs> it feels right. So it's right down the road from Cisco. 
and it seems to be where they do a lot of their their business uh, judicially so they bring him to eastland uh to potentially try him for stealing the oldsmobile from the harris family and when he gets to this jail he really is putting on a show he pretends to be blind and paralyzed and lays on a cot not moving for 10 days that sounds like fucking heaven <laughs> i'm not gonna lie to you get in bed and not move for 10 days please and thank you just so long as somebody like like am i did he go to the bathroom in the bed they uh the jailers had to help him to the toilet to do all that okay yeah i'm good somebody pick me <laughs> up hover my ass over a toilet or you know what just uh throw me in the shower and turn the shower on yeah, the, the jailers had to wash him. They had to feed him, and they had to uh, help him with his his hygiene needs. So we had to fan him with ostrich feathers and feed him grapes. Yeah, practically. So it's during all this he basically has them lulled into a false sense of security. He steals a gun from one of them, and he starts to try to shoot his way out of the jail. He does shoot uh, the the sheriff's deputy, whose name was he was known as Uncle Tom. Uh, Jones, so Uncle Uncle Tom Jones. It's it's not unusual to be loved by anyone. <laughs> and uh, Uncle Tom Jones was shot in all this scuffle and would die the next day. And uh, the other person involved in this jailhouse scuffle was Pack Kilborn, the jailer. And now this was a family affair because his daughter, well, well. Kilborn is is fighting with Ratliff, basically beats him to a pulp. His daughter is is like running t over there with a pistol, about ready to, to fire. And Kilborn's like, just just I, daddy's got this, honey. Daddy's daddy's got this. So, quite the scene here. And this gathers a lot of attention from the locals in Eastland. And the next day, people have gathered to the point that there are between one and 2,000 there, somewhere around there. And now Kilborn is at the jail. He's trying to keep everything calm. He's trying to keep Ratliff inside. And he, his, for some reason, has, I guess he lived in or near the jail or a, something attached to the jail. He has his son, his daughter, and his wife there with him. So they're telling this angry mob, just let justice run its course. And the mob says things like, we've waited long enough and don't give him a chance to kill another good man and we want action. And so they take action. Now, one article said 20 men, another article said 200 men. Honestly, it could have been either one or anything in between. Didn't matter how many, they were able to get into the jail, bust past him and his son in order to get Ratliff. And they're looking for some mob justice. They strip Ratliff naked bind his hands and feet that's, and they, that's an interesting thing to do get him naked do it Make, yeah it, it's almost like a sadosexual get him naked do it there is something about that that is you know what though like it's, it's a lot of vulnerability too for the naked person absolutely and, and and so that might be what they were going for is they wanted him vulnerable and to make sure he didn't have any weapons on him and to make him really embarrassed. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different aspects to it that I think could be 
ascribed to the mob's motives there, and I'm really not sure which to choose or maybe to choose all of them. Angry mob strips me naked. The only one that's going to be embarrassed is whoever charged with running towards them with like a three-quarter chub. <laughs> so Fuck you, I'm into this shit. <laughs> they, they get... Uh, they get... Ratliff, uh, as far as 200 yards from the jail, where there is a vacant lot next to the town theater, the Majestic Theater, the play that was being put on at the Majestic Theater that uh, at that time period was the noose. Mm-hmm. That is a good find. I did not see that. Like I had that they were originally going to take him to the public park, and then they just got sick of it, and they're like, "This thing's close enough." But now that you say that, I think it was much more deliberate than the articles I read made it seem. Yeah, and there's a couple of weird aspects that are connected with that that show too. Just not necessarily not necessarily related to this case, but also sort of. Uh, one of them is that this play, when it uh, was on Broadway, was Barbara Stanwyck's debut. If you remember. She we keep the, hearing that name. <laughs> we do. She was the, the face on the screen that Howard Unruh stared at long enough that he went and shot up his whole neighborhood. So, um, and the plot, now, it's a little hard to figure out the plot exactly, but it seems to be that a man is set to be executed. His crime is that he killed the man that was possibly his father, definitely raised him as uh, you know like the man who raised him as his son and but that man whose name was buck tells the guy look your real mother is the governor's wife and so the synopsis leaves it kind of unclear is his real father buck or is his real father the governor is his real father someone else entirely it's kind of it's it's hard to tell from the one halfway decent synopsis i was able to find but the governor, one way or the other, does pardon uh, the main character from, from death row. So that is interesting that there's a, even a governor's pardon in there and a governor's wife involved when there had been some of that in the beginning with Ratliff. It's just all very, some strange things lining up. Yeah, it's, it's a little... It's, it's just coming full circle. It's a little weird. It's a little uncanny in, in, at times. So Full circle like a noose. Oh, Amber was waiting for one of us to pick up on that. Neither of us did. And she was like, I'm disappointed in you. I'll do it. Say it all. Say it all. <laughs> oh. oh, they string him up over uh, with a rope. They, they managed to kind of fling over a telephone cable. And so this is uh, this is not one of those things that is successful on the first try. Is this venture? It, it takes a couple of tries, but they're determined. So, the the knot either the knot comes out or the rope breaks. One way or the other, the end result is the same. Ratliff falls to the ground. So he's laying there saying, "God have mercy and forgive me." And meanwhile, they're like, "Find a better rope. We need. We just need a stronger rope, and we can do this." God ain't here for you now, boy. It's just <laughs> me and Thorgog, the ble- eternally bleeding jackal skull. <laughs> Along with two thousand of our best local friends. Don't don't religion shame me. So, they do find a better rope and they string him up again, and then 
Uh, but they take him down. They do. They take him down because they were like, oh. Uh, last words. Last words. Yeah, we yeah, want last we... words. We, we should give him a chance to say last words after they'd already strung him up. And so they get him down. He mumbled a little bit. He might have said, forgive me, boys. And then the crowd yelled, nope, string him up. String him up. <laughs> his we don't last want any words, mercy here. His last words after we hang him were... <laughs> Essentially, yes. So, yeah, he did die by public lynching and here's this is from the bismarck tribune for several hours the man's naked body dangled from the end of a grass rope in a bitter wind while a crowd which included many women and children stood gazing upward until a justice of the peace ordered the body cut down that is a weird unsettling scene and a terrible angle to see a man at really frankly on a cold night too <laughs> so yeah there's there's lots that's not great here um jones uh, uncle tom jones was still alive at this point and so he was contacted in the hospital and told about ratliff being hung and he said that's fine i'm glad of it good lord yeah yeah now ratliff was buried on november 23rd his brother lee remember was still in jail and he requested leave to go to the funeral and the governor said fuck no i think probably in those exact words but you know what even before the funeral like the day after he died they put him on display in a furniture store yeah i know right that's bizarre i i just there's nothing there's nothing about that that's okay at all several thousand people got to view the body but his brother didn't yeah i i do agree that there's something you know there's something to family but at the same time this this particular family seems to have a a knack for at least trying to escape and causing chaos and so i get it i get it yeah so the locals did put a makeshift sort of marker by the utility pole. I, well, I have makeshift in my notes because that was what it said, but then I did manage to find it on Google Street View, and it's legit like a gravestone uh, on the basically on the corner behind the theater, and articles talk about a white picket fence around it and the utility pole, but uh, there's no white picket fence on Google Street View, although that was... Um, that picture was in 2013, so it's been seven years. Who the hell knows? Exactly. And I don't. I don't think that you could put fencing around a utility pole because it would block access to the utilities. You're probably right. Yeah. So they probably right. did build it, and then uh, somebody ripped it down. Like I, I know. I think our company probably would. So. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. But yeah, there is. It's like a gravestone, and it basically is commemorating the last mob lynching in Texas which is what this was there's been plenty more it's just oh i don't doubt it just these this one the happened last official mob listing yeah. this, yeah. this was the, the last white lynching in texas yeah scott's got it yep exactly yep so and therefore the last one that any media paid any attention to mm-hmm yep yep so they uh, and also the jail was turned into a museum and displays the hanging rope i'm gonna guess the second successful one uh all told 
three of the four bank robbers died due to the robbery, shot, executed, and then lynched. And three members of law enforcement also died, all of them shot. You had Bedford, you had Carmichael, and you had Uncle Tom Jones. Uncle Tom Jones had, because he was an uncle, he had a nephew. His nephew was the district attorney. The district attorney who was in charge of the state's case at the grand jury to try to find for any sort of, if there needed to be any sort of indictments regarding the lynching. Despite 75 witnesses, anybody want anybody to guess if uh, the, that grand jury came up with any any sort of findings against any of the locals for uh, lynching? Yes, yes, I know, I know what the findings are. Uh, what lynching? Yes, that was exactly, that was exactly wow, the finding. I like those findings, not. Yeah, so uh, they did actually have to take a recess for the funeral of the DA's uncle, who was the deputy who was shot because he was, the funeral happened during the grand jury's sitting. So they had to take a recess for that funeral for which nearly the entire population of Eastland showed up. So, and nowadays, uh, there is, at the site of the bank, uh, there is actually an auto parts store. There's a plaque up on the store commemorating the, the Santa Claus bank robbery. And uh, that $5,000 reward went to no one. We'll give you a nice toaster for shooting the man. There you go. So... That's uh, that's all my stuff. Do you guys have anything else? Did I miss anything else? I, think I, I have I have oh. one final thing. Go for it. Um, well, kind of all together. So the first national bank that was robbed is actually still in business, but it is in a different location now. It is now First Financial Bank, but the original building has a little historical marker in front of it, placed there in 1967 with an inscription that gets right to the point, and I love it. Quote, later, a mob lynched Santa when he broke out of jail. You gotta love that. That's how the story goes, guys. I, I love the later part. <laughs> yeah, later, a, a mob lynched Santa when he broke out of jail. Which technically isn't, they broke him out, but you know, Again, again, what lynching? Yeah. What lynching? Yeah. There was no lynching. Silly. Lynchings are old wives' tales, like buttholes. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that is our holiday festive story. Merry Crimeus, everybody. Uh, Merry Crimeus. Your Crimeus Eve was was very uh, wonderful, filled with with mugs of hot chocolate and you know new, new crime books and mugs and muggings and, mug. <laughs> and mug shots. There was a lot I could have worked with there that I just didn't. Thank you, Scott, for finding that. It's like a Whitman <laughs> sampler of crime. It really is. So. <laughs> So yes, uh, if you enjoyed that, you can find more information and stuff related to the case on our social media, Old Timey Crimey on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Already mentioned our Patreon at the top of the show, but if you are not the long-term relationship type, 
If you're a, you know, one night stand kind of deal, that's fine too. You can leave a buck on the nightstand or however many bucks you want using our email address, oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com at PayPal. You can just make it a one-time thing if you want. And we will still give you a shout out on the air uh, in a horrible accent or sung badly. Uh, really not sure. So uh, just, uh, you know, whatever, whatever spirit. However, the spirit moves me in the moment is what I'll go with. So if you're on, on tenterhooks of anticipation for that, then head on over to PayPal and uh, do that. And I mentioned the social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, old timey crimey. You can come to those places and see our stuff. And don't forget our merch on Redbubble. That is oldtimeycrimey.redbubble.com where we have all kinds of fun, crimey, old timey crimey stuff in a variety of products you can get stuff for your home you can get stuff to wear you can get you know accessory type stuff so go and take a look and get yourself you know a, a bath mat that that says uh, i listen to filthy words and you do and <laughs> you do you've made it here so you've heard a lot i'm you're sorry. most certainly listening to filthy words so that's all of my bullshit <laughs> um I call it that all the time, and you guys always seem surprised when I'm I call so, it my bullshit. I'm sorry. It just tickles me whenever it's like filthy words. That's it for my bullshit. <laughs> yeah, that is that is it for my, you know, my promotional type bullshit. So uh, let's play. What are we doing this weekend, guys? I am uh, I'm going to go to Walmart tomorrow. I'm going to pick up uh, hot chocolate, and then I am going to sit on the couch and wait for Monday to arrive with a cup of hot chocolate in my hand and another <laughs> cup of hot chocolate at my side, if you know what I mean. I think you do. Oh. oh I think we do. <laughs> I already got hot chocolate and marshmallows, and uh, the kids have been drinking it after we, we play in the snow. Um, so we've been having a lot of fun with that. And now Max, who is three and adorable, uh, instead of chocolate milk, he asked for cold cocoa, huh. <laughs> oh, is which so is sweet. like my new favorite thing. <laughs> I love it. Okay, quick suggestion. I'm not much of a drinker. What alcohol goes good in hot chocolate? Uh, whipped vodka. Whipped vodka. Mm. Okay, that is a two buy for this week. Also, um, if you see any, maybe a, any caramel kind of uh, like vodkas or I'm not sure. Well, I wasn't done. Um, <laughs> yeah, Christy. So, Godiva has actually milk chocolate, white chocolate, and I'm not sure if they have a caramel. I knew they came out with another flavor, but Godiva is a chocolate liqueur. Okay. So it would just add to the chocolatiness. Um, and then there is also a uh, rum chata. The might forbidden be good dance. In it. The forbidden dance. <laughs> Um, but rumchata kind of tastes like um, cinnamon toast crunch milk. Hmm. And then Bailey's has a chocolate covered cherry variety that could be interesting. I could watch. I could drink some Bailey's and watch some old Greg. There you go. Yeah. So you got lots of options. I do. Lots and lots of options. Go to the liqueur aisle at the liquor store, and you know there's also the vodka. If you're going to the one uh, in in your area, it's the vodka one's like right behind it. Um, but like that that store is so tiny and has the weirdest hours and days it's open. <laughs> so yeah, lots of options there. 
Um, I'm going to be continuing the adventures of my couch. Yeah, uh, yeah it's couch times. Couch times. Uh, my latest goal is to actually be able to take a nap on it. Uh, I lay down on the couch and I'm so comfortable and I'm so happy that I'm comfortable that I get like too thrilled by the fact that I'm comfortable and then I can't fall asleep because I'm just like, I'm so comfortable. I'm so happy about it. And yeah, that's basically what's going on in my head. And so I tried to take a nap today and I was unsuccessful, although I was very comfortable and happy in the time that I was laying there with my eyes closed, not sleeping. So yeah, more more couch times and uh, we have an extra extra to record this weekend. I'm super excited about doing that. Oh fuck, yeah, I gotta get it. up off the couch. Yeah, I know, but it'll be worth it to to talk about uh, the famous uh, the fates of famous corpses. So, mm. so yeah, that is it for this special Christmas episode of Old Timey Crimey. We hope that wherever you are listening to this, you are staying safe, staying sane, and staying filthy always. So thank you from the bottom of our festive, crimey hearts for listening to our festive, crimey, filthy words. And we will see you as the, uh, as everybody has to say, we'll see you in 2021, bitches. Bye. Bye. My sources this week are Walter F. Pilcher of the Texas State Historical Association, Wikipedia, Stacey Hollister on Texas Monthly, Find the Grave, Daniel Friend on The Texan, Brownsville Herald via the Library of Congress, Texas State Library, and Boyce House in Startling Detective Adventure Magazine. Oh, I bet the covers to that look great. My, my sources this week are tshaonline.org, findagrave.com, mentalfloss.com, Texas Monthly, Wikipedia, and executedtoday.com. My sources this week are mentalfloss.com by Jake Rawson, Texas Monthly by Stacey Hollister, tshaonline.org by Walter Pitcher, thetexan.news by Daniel Friend, and newspapers.com.